Uh, Today we're going to be reading from Psalm 24, and if you have got one of those blue Bibles, that's page 548. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world on all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Uh, Good to be with you this morning. I wanted to start by telling you about my family's snake story. Everyone has a snake story, don't they? This is my family's snake story. Uh, It was summer holidays for us. We were visiting my parents on the New South Wales coast, and their neighbours had been away. So my dad was doing the, you know, all the neighbourly things for them, putting their bins out, checking their mail for them, that kind of thing. And one day he knew he had to check their backyard pool was going all right, so he went around the backyard, and there sitting right next to the skimmer box, the place where he has to go, is this long, thick, black snake. So dad decides the skimmer box can wait till tomorrow. Fair enough. Anyway, the next day, Dad goes back, and well, the snake's still hanging about. So, do you go and do you do it? Maybe the snake's just had a big meal and is a bit lethargic. Maybe the local cat's gone missing. Maybe there's just a good bit of sun there. Who knows? But Dad's decided the skimmer boss can wait another day. But he gets to the third day, and Dad decides, look, it's going to happen. We've got to confront this snake. Move it along today. I need to get in there for the sake of the neighbours. So, over, he's about to go over and. And I, being the son that I am, I, I enjoy seeing a snake. I think they're fascinating, as long as they're at the zoo with that thick glass of wall between me and it. But still, I couldn't let my dad go on his own, so I said, look, I'll go with you, and I made sure to put my joggers on, so if we needed to make a quick escape, I'd be out of there. Anyhow, we're about to go over, and at that point, my wife, Pip, decides she wants to come along as well. Uh, Pip was pregnant at the time, but she's a country girl. You can't take country girls away from this kind of thing. That's what they live for. So the three of us went up going across the road <coughs> over to the neighbour's pool, and, and sure enough, the snake is still there. I decided the best method was to grab a bunch of sticks and rocks, stand on the other side of the pool of the snake, and just start kind of lobbing them over, trying to move it along. And I wasn't having much success, and so Pip, who was standing right beside me, decided she'd edge around and go over to actually to the side where the snake is. And in my head I'm thinking, we're steady on Pip, stick back, don't get too close. But then again, I don't want to sound like I'm too afraid, so I don't say anything, I just stay nervous on the inside. And in the meantime, Pip edges closer and closer and closer to the snake. My heart's going faster and faster until finally Pip reaches down and she plucks it up. And that's when we find out it's actually a rubber snake. It's important to know what's in front of you, isn't it? Because that changes what you do. If it had been a real snake, people would have been crazy to pick it up. 
But as it was, it was just made of rubber. So you could pick it up, you could throw it around, you could put a hand in its, hand in its mouth, and it doesn't matter a thing. When you know what you're dealing with, you can make good choices about what to do. But it's true with a snake, and, it, and the same is true with God. When you know who God is, you know how you can respond to him. What's the right way to respond to him? And Psalm 24 is great like that. It really helps us get to know who our God is. There are three parts to the psalm. It's like each part of the psalm takes us to a new place, a new scene. And at each scene, each place we visit, we don't just meet our God, but we figure out what it means to respond to him. So let's, just, let's, let's pray for a moment now and ask for God's help before we dive into the psalm. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that we don't merely have to think up thoughts about you, but you tell us what you're like. So we pray in this now that you'd calm our hearts, clear our heads, and make us those who are able to listen to you through your word. And we pray that the words that I speak wouldn't really be my words, but would be your words. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first scene of Psalm 24 has us looking down at planet Earth. Verse 1 and 2, look at them with me, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it on the waters. We're looking down at the world and we're being told to notice everything in it whether it be mountains and valleys or trees and shrubs and plants and, and, and flowers or the whole animal kingdom, you know, it all belongs to God. And not just the things in it either. We're told to take notice of all who live in it. City slickers, country bumpkins, Anglos, Asians, first Australians, it doesn't matter. We all belong to God too. Is that how you think about yourself? that you're God's, you belong to him. We live in a culture where we keep being told that each of us is our own person. Your life belongs to you, my life belongs to me, and that's just the way it is. Don't, don't interfere too much with one another. It's in our music, actually, too. Uh, um, uh, bon Jovi has the song, it's, it's My Life. Pearl Jam sing a song. I love Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam sing a song... Um, it's called I Am Mine. They say, the chorus says, I know I was born, I know I, but the in-between is mine. Different words, the same meaning. Or, um, uh, Frank Sinatra was the other great one, wasn't he? What's his great reflection on life? I did it my way. So we like to think of ourselves as autonomous. It's my life. My hands are on the steering wheel. And don't you get close here because it's my life. It belongs to me. So it's confronting to hear this, but you don't belong to you. You belong to God. God says to you, I made you. I made everything. You live in my world and you belong to me. It's a completely different way of seeing ourselves. God's calling on us to see ourselves not as independent, but as dependent on him. We didn't just happen. God actually made us. We're dependent on God for the sun to shine, for the rain to fall, for the food to eat, for, for the breath that we breathe. Right now, we need him to uphold our very lives. And because we're dependent, we have obligations then, obligations to God. 
We are our own. We belong to him. How does that sit with you? Is that a, a comfortable thing to hear on a Sunday morning? Are you willing to let God have that place for you? That scene one, it's confronting. But scene two continues that same. Scene two is also confronting. For scene two, we're taken back in time. Look at verse three with me. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? We're now standing at the foot of the mountain looking up. Not just any mountain. This is, this is a unique place. This is the Lord's mountain. We're talking about Mount Zion here. It's in the midst of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. This is the place where the temple of God is, where God himself dwells in a special way. And as we gaze up the mountain to the temple, the question hangs, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can go up there? Who can stand in the presence of God? We're confronted with another truth about God here. He's not just any old God. This is a holy God. Holy just means that God is set apart. He's different. When you think about it, there's lots of ways in which God is different from us. Like uh, scene one told us that God is the creator and we are the created But there's something else that really sets God apart from everyone else, from everything else. Something that really makes him holy. And that is this, that that, that God is morally perfect. He's totally good. God never does evil. You know, get get this, God God is never even neutral in anything. In his thinking or speaking or his actions, God is always and only 100% totally good. So good, in fact, that he cannot even stand evil or or, or sin in his presence. He's set apart from sin, separated from it. God is holy. So who can approach this God then? The answer comes in verse 4. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't trust in an idol or swear by a false god, In 1986, the classic Australian movie, Crocodile Dundee, was released. Seen Crocodile Dundee? Yeah, enough of it yet. Uh, Great movie. Basic storyline. That's Paul Hogan there. He plays Mick Dundee. Mick Dundee basically hunts problem crocodiles. A bit of a local legend and news gets out about him. And soon enough, a reporter from New York flies over. She wants to interview him. He takes her on like an, an outback expedition. She takes him back to New York. They fall in love and there's your movie. And there's a part in the movie when someone asks Mick a question. They say to him, Mick, are you afraid a crocodile's going to kill you one day? This is Mick's response. It's brilliant. He says to them, you know, I read the Bible once. You know, God and Jesus and all them apostles, they were fishermen, just like me. Yep, straight to heaven for Mick Dundee. Me and God, we'd be mates. Now, it's kind of comical, and and not many of us would use those words to express it today, but actually that's pretty much what most of us think, aren't we? If there was a God, he'd be okay with me. Yep, me and God, we'd be mates. Today you see in, in, in things more like this, the Jesus is my homeboy movement. This image is printed on shirts, hoodies, onesies, just about every bit of clothing you could imagine. 
because Jesus is my homeboy. We're good. We're okay. Me and Jesus, we'd be getting on all right. In the midst of that kind of culture, this question rings out. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And we may well think, yeah, that's that. I could do that. Me and God, we'd be mates. But God says no. no. He's after those who have clean hands and clean hearts. He's after those who are good inside and out. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's not exactly us, is it? Not totally. Again, scene two is very confronting. When we look up at the, at the, mount, look up the mountain, at, at, at the temple of the holy God, do you feel the weight of coming before this God? This is not our homeboy. This is a holy God. He's not one to be messed with, not one to be taken lightly. Do you feel the weight of coming before this God? In the first two scenes, uh, we meet a, a, a very great God, one who, who owns you, one who's so perfect that evil can't come before him. And it can give you the impression that God is big, so big, uh, so different and, 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 and separate that maybe he just seems a bit, a bit distant, impersonal. And if we're honest with each other, we don't really want a God like that, do we? I want a God who's close to me, who knows me, who actually cares. Which is why the third scene is so important. Take a look at verse 7 with me. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. For scene three, we're taken to the gates of an ancient city and the crowd is crying out, open up the gates. And the gatekeepers are asking, who, who, who's coming? And the response comes back to them, it's God. Except they don't say God's name. They don't say God, do they? They, they? they use God's name, the Lord. Because though he is their God and though he is big and holy and different, He's still their personal God who knows them and they know him. And this is the great thing about the God of the Bible. A God who, who is so big and different seems impersonal. A God who is just small and personal doesn't actually seem big enough to do anything. But the God of the Bible is actually both. He is big. He owns the universe. He's different. He's morally perfect. And yet... This God is personal too. He, he cares. He, he knows us. And he makes himself known to us. Our God is good. And as the scene unfolds, we see how the ancient people of Israel knew their God. They knew their God as the victor. We're at the gates of the ancient city and the call is to let God in because he's being likened to a warrior returning from battle. He's won the war. The fight is over. The Lord is strong and mighty. The image of a warrior returning home. It's an image that we might feel a little bit uneasy about because we see war as bad, don't we? It brings 
uh, it brings death and, and innocent people get killed and morally questionable things can happen in wars. War's an ugly thing and that's very true. But it's also true to say that war was part of ancient life, that when this psalm was written, war happened, it was common. Other countries invade, the neighbouring countries invade because everyone wants the best bit of land because when you have the best bit of land, you can plant your crops, you can grow better food, you have plenty of food then for the people. World superpowers keep invading as well because they're trying to extend their reach to have more subjects and have more ta- get more taxes and build up their, their money stocks. So in this kind of culture, victory for your army is something to be celebrated. Imagine what it's like seeing your army go out. The rest of the city kind of sees them off and, and looks and waits. They keep looking over the horizon to see who's going to come back. If you see the foreign army coming back, it means disaster. Your army's lost. Now you've got two choices. You run and hope you can outrun all the cavalry that's coming to you. Or you hide, you shut the city gates, you close the doors, you hide and you hope that you can last long enough that the other army just gives up and goes on their way. Because if they get into the city, it's not pretty. But on the other hand, if you look up at the city gates and you see your army returning home, that's a completely different story then. The sight of your army brings joy, a great sense of relief because your freedom remains, life goes on. So you throw open the gates to the victorious army returning. You celebrate with the victors. You have your party. It's like uh, having a ticket tape parade after the Olympic Games. You know, our athletes have gone overseas. They've vanquished the foes. They've come back with their gold medals. So we throw open the city. We, we, we come together and celebrate what they've done. It's like the... The famous video of that man dancing down the main street in Sydney after the war's been declared over, the battle's been won, our freedom continues. So we celebrate and he's celebrating dancing up the main street of Sydney. That's the image we've got here in in, in Psalm 24. The people are celebrating because God is their victor. Verse 8, they cry out, The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Verse 10, the Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. God's riding back into town. He comes as a victor. This is a great party happening. The, um, the ancient nation of Israel were the first ones to sing this song. And for them it was very real. When other nations were invaded, God told them, no, no, don't trust in your weapons, don't trust in your army, don't trust in your great military strategy. Put your trust in me. I will be victorious for you. So the ancient nation of Israel, they sung this song. But today, it's a song that can still be sung. Not by a nation trying to protect a patch of land. But but God is still the victor that he has always been. And in fact, he's the victor over something that's far more menacing than some invading country. See, whether you know it or not, we've got a, 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 like a three-pronged attack coming at us. Cast your mind back to scene two, where we said God is different. He's, he's a holy God because he's always good and he's perfect. But the truth is we're not. 
We don't treat each other right. We don't treat God right. We sin, and that has consequences. So it's the first prong of, the, of this, this attack against us is that we sin. And the second prong is Satan, the devil. See, because he, his great weapon is that he accuses us before God. He says to God, hey, God, did you see Scott yesterday? You know what he did? You saw that. Look, God, you've got to do something about that. You can't let this stand. Satan's accusations are the second prong against us. And the third prong is death. Death is the great sign that we do sin. It's God's judgment on our sin. And so this great three-pronged attack is coming against us, sin, death, and Satan. But you know what? God has won victory over it. This great victory comes through Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection. See, sin has been defeated by Jesus. He dealt with it at the cross. Satan has been conquered because Jesus has taken away his great weapon. All the accusations that Satan wants to throw at us now, Jesus said, yep, paid for that. Paid for that. Paid for that. So Satan now has no accusation which will stick. And death, well, death has been crushed too. Because after Jesus died, he's come back to life, showing that he has power even over that. God is the victor. And this song of victory is our song too. Because through Jesus, God has won the victory for us. So I've really then just got two questions to ask. Firstly, most importantly, have you welcomed God into your life? Have you thrown open the gates of your life and let God come in? If not, is today the day to do that for you? Come and talk to me or, 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 or chat to the person you came, you came with. Uh, fill out the contact card and, and just ask that you, for, for, for a little bit more help to, to think through this. Whatever it is, we'd love to be with you to help you think this through, to start this new part of your life with you. That really is the first and most important thing. Throw open the gates of your life to celebrate the victory of God, to let it take effect in your life. But there's a second thing too, and that is to celebrate. To actually celebrate Jesus. That's what's going on the psalm here. They're opening the gates. The great victor God is coming in. It's going to be a great party in the city. They're celebrating. That's us too. We celebrate the victory that God has won for us in Jesus. Let me tell you about my friend Sam. Uh, I sat beside Sam on the night when he made the biggest decision of his life. We're at a churchy thing. Someone had just spoken from the Bible. And afterwards, Sam turned to me and he said, I think I've got to become a Christian now. And so he did. And from that day on, his life completely changed. There were visible signs. And there were signs of him actually celebrating this in his life too. Joy was obvious when you spoke to Sam. You know, he, was, he, he became super keen to talk to others. Things that once worried him weren't the big issue anymore. He was a guy who was so gripped by Jesus, so gripped by what Jesus has done for him, that it shaped him. He led his life in a way that celebrated what Jesus had done. But 12 months later, it was a slightly different story. Those signs of of joy and celebration weren't as strong. It wasn't that Sam was moving away from God. It's just that things weren't always easy. 
some friends didn't take too well to Sam changing and you know, we live in a broken world where stuff doesn't, just doesn't work out and, and Sam was feeling that for himself. Has that happened to you too? You start following Jesus with enthusiastic joy but over time it's just dulled. Is that you? And sure, we, we, we shouldn't expect the Christian life to be all sunshine and roses. Well, Jesus promises us the good life, but he doesn't promise us the easy life. So there are things that won't always go our way. And if we're honest here, some of us know this more than others. But have you lost that joy, that sense of celebrating, celebrating the victory of God? If you have, what do you do? Well, the first thing is to say is, is, is don't beat yourself up about it, right? You're already probably feeling low, but don't beat yourself up about it. But secondly, I want, I want to say, find ways to let the news of God's victory roll over you again. Find, find someone else you trust and ask them, what do you find so good about Jesus? Just listen, listen to what they've got to say. Sit down one time and write out a prayer of God. Write out all the things you actually want to say thanks to God for. Write out to God what you're thankful to Him for, Je- how you're thankful to Him for Jesus. Don't just don't just find time to, to simply read the Bible, but find time to to reflect on what the Bible is actually telling you about the victory God has given us in Jesus. Say thanks to what, what you're reading. You know, we could go on. There could be a thousand things that you do. But the point is, let, find ways to let that news of God's victory roll over you again. It may not be that that joy returns overnight. But I'll say, that's where we find our joy. It's, it's not in the circumstances of life, but in the victory God has won for us through Jesus. Make sure you keep going back to there to find your joy, to celebrate and that's the point, celebrate. Don't let the Christian life become one of mere duty, even though duty has its place. Don't fool yourself into thinking that your personality is one where you're just never really going to experience joy. I know we'll all express it differently, but joy really is a part of every Christian life, which is actually, so, so celebrate. Has it ever occurred to you that, that Christians are people who sing? We sing because we celebrate it. Our songs cover a range of emotions, but so many of them return to this, the fact that we have joy and we can celebrate what Jesus has done. And I know there's more to Christian joy and celebrating than just singing, but our songs let us express that. After all, we have got so much to sing about, don't we? Sometimes we think that singing is not normal in our culture, but I reckon that's not quite true. I was at the Crows game on Friday night, and even though they lost, the, the first thing that happened after the game was the winning team song came on over the loudspeaker, right? And suddenly, just amongst everyone, these Essendon supporters started singing along. I was walking out, and there's one Essendon supporter amidst a whole crowd of Crows people. He's standing, we're all trying to leave, he's standing there and he's belting out the Essendon kind of anthem. Singing is something that we do. Even in Australia, we do. And we've got something better to celebrate. 
something better than that we can kick a pigskin around a field better. So, friends, I want to say sing. Join in wholeheartedly, sing. In fact, we're going to do that now. The band's going to come back up for us. Normally I like to pray after I finish talking from the Bible, but I think it's, 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 it's appropriate now that we sing, isn't it? We're going to sing a, a great song too. It's called Safe in the Arms. It reminds us of everything that Jesus has done for us. He's destroyed that great three-pronged attack that was coming against us. Now we're safe. We're safe from the enemy. So let's celebrate that. The band's going to lead us. Let's join in. Over to you guys.